Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey everyone, this is Jordan, and welcome to another episode of the Startup to Scale podcast. Today, I have on Diana Milencio, who's a partner at XRC, and XRC does investments in CPG brands and tech brands. They also host a accelerator. We'll get into that a little bit later, but Dan, I'd love to just have you introduce yourself and what you're up to. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm a partner at XRC Labs. Um, Fun fact is that I was actually also a cohort one portfolio company. So I've been with XRC since the beginning. Um, Prior to that, I had, you know, a a 10-year career in traditional finance before starting my own technology companies, of which XRC was was an investor in in the second one. Um, And then I went on to work at Wise Ventures prior to XRC, and then sort of came home, um, so to speak, in um, early this year to be a partner at XRC Labs. So super excited. I love that you come from the founder and operator side and also from the investor side. Um, talk about that perspective of what it was like being a, a founder and operator and what is it like being on the other side? Yeah, so I will say being a founder is um, much harder. <laughs> and at least like from, from my perspective, um, VC uh, is more is more fun, fun for me. But um, I know um, a lot of my entrepreneur friends will continue to be entrepreneurs because they can't, um, you know, work for other people. So once you've got that entrepreneurship bug, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, to move, a, move away from that. Um, I will say that not a lot has changed in terms of fundraising. Um, it is still difficult. It is still being funneled to sort of the same um, makeup of founders. So, you know, Stanford, white male, and and that's something that I am personally and along with my partners at XRC trying to combat by ensuring that we are proactive about our approach to sourcing founders and companies. I I like that approach. I want to dig into that a little bit more because I know you talk a lot about how women and people of color, especially if you have both as an intersectionality, are often over-mentored and underfunded. Share your experience around that and what that looks like. It looks like a lot of initiatives. It looks like multicultural programs um, that don't have capital tied to it necessarily, um, or at least like things that are not programs that are not actionable. Like, are you introducing me to investors? Are you allowing me to, you know, run a pilot with that enterprise company that's actually doing that initiative? Now there's, there's some, there's some very, there's some very good ones that provide founders with resources, but, but I believe that initiative should be tied to capital because that's truly what an underrepresented founder is lacking. It's interesting because I hear investors all the time talk about how um, they would invest in 
female or minority owned founders, but they're, they can't find the companies to invest in. And there's none that are in their pipeline and there's a pipeline issue. Um, how do you address that? Yeah. I mean, um, you address it by not making an apples to apples comparison. Um, so if you look at, you know, I've had conversations with VCs, early stage VCs. And so, you know, how much do companies have typically raised before they come in with an institutional round? And on average, it's around a million dollars. And that's usually raised through an angel or what's known as a friends and family round. Now, if you come from an immigrant background like myself, I'm a first generation college student, you might not have the ability to raise a friends and family round. And so when you look at the same type of software company or same type of software or soft drink brand, um, you can't really use the same lens, the same KPIs, the same MRRs to determine whether or not to make to make the, the, the proper comparison. So some of it is about acknowledging that pre-seed angel round disparity when you're looking at a certain category of, of investments. You know, I also see a lot of founder or a lot of investors who essentially are trying to say like, oh, I have this investment thesis and there's not a pipeline of companies that fit into that. And then when you really dig into that investment thesis, as you mentioned, a lot of times it's like a Stanford grad who's able to raise 50 to $100,000 at least like friends and family round. And they maybe look like a founder who was previously successful before in addition to the business metrics, right? And it's like, of course, if you are, if you're, thesis and your filter are biased in a way that people from underrepresented groups like have a much lower percentage chance of being from that, right? If you only investing in Harvard graduated students, the people in there who are might have come from um, you know, minority backgrounds, there's going to be a lot fewer of them to start with. Yeah, no, I, I can't agree with you more. Um, and that's why it's, it's really important to to show up for demo days that are hosted by HBCUs. Um, it's really important to tie yourself to organizations like Black Women Talk Tech, um, which I'm involved with, um, firstgeneration.vc, which is an initiative that um, I had co-founded um, with Matt Kalinske, um, another venture capitalist based in, based in New York City. Um, so, so you need to have a very action-oriented, active approach, because the, the inbound is going to come through your, v, your other VC networks. And if I relied solely on that, the population pool is not diverse. Yeah, I hear you. So let's dig into um, the investment landscape right now a little bit, because from what I've seen, there's a ton of capital out there that's ready to invest most of that's geared toward the tech space right now. That's maybe yes, the vast, like vast, vast majority. Right. And then like pretty much all of our audience are, are CPG founders, if not specifically food and beverage founders, which is a much harder industry to finance. Um, and so I know XRC has invested in a couple or a number of CPG companies. Talk about what helps CPG companies stand out in this um, field for investment. 
a few things. Um, some of it, you know, you, you kind of, if it's a, if it's a direct to consumer product, you can't necessarily divorce that from, from traction. Um, so if you look at the kind of metrics that it takes to generate interest from a generalist VC, like a first round or a great craft, you're typically looking at 30 to 50,000 in MRR. You're growing at a 10% compa compounded monthly growth rate. Um, so some of it is metrics. It could also be just engagement from your target consumer. So if, for example, you're a textured um, hair company and there's a ton of engagement on your, your YouTube for tutorials, um, in, in your Instagram, on your, on your TikTok, those are also areas that, that, that I look to. Um, what that says to me is they have a product that works and they have engaged their target audience and they may not have the capital um, to do to um, conduct the appropriate paid acquisition acquisition channels, and so you know revenue and traction aside, which is you know Im important. Um, it's more how are they engaging with the consumer? Is the product actually um, resonating with them? And so th those are other ways in which you can stick out outside of the traditional revenue lens. I like those suggestions. And, you know, I, one thing that I've seen, especially in the last five, 10 years are founders in the CPG space who launch a product have literally maybe like 50 to $200,000 in sales. And they're trying to raise like VC money and pitch for that. And at that point, for a lot of them, it's like before you can really understand if you have product market fit or not. And the, I, I think there's this, this lore, this uh, kind of fantasy story where you see the headlines of all these tech companies and people who like raised $10 million before they launched their product or like yes. three months after they launched and people are like, there's all this money out there. I'm just starting out like, why don't, why can't I get the money to grow my company and do it, you know, financially risk-free? Well, uh, because since 2018, um, venture funding and direct-to-consumer has declined. So, specifically in, in early stage funding. So if founders are feeling like there's less venture out there, that is true for direct consumer CPG products. That is the inverse of enterprise, enterprise SaaS. Um, now there are a couple areas uh, that are hot and, you know, I'm hot for as well. Um, like what are those areas? alternative, yeah, like uh, alternative proteins, um, so those take years and years of, of research to develop. So you can warrant a, you know, twenty million dollar um, valuation pre-product, presuming that you have um, the the science to to prove that that it is viable. Um, another area is food as medicine. Um, that's an, another area where valuations are are a little bit higher, um, or food as wellness. Um, alternative or sustainable forms of food. So like honey, not from bee honey alternatives is an interesting one. Um, so there are areas that are, dare I say, overvalued. Um, and then there are areas like traditional 
um, sodas, things of that nature where you really either have to use branding like um, liquid death or is, is, is it an example yes. to gain to gain any kind of attention? So what are you doing that is truly different from the plethora of brands out there? So I, I'm looking at um, direct-to-consumer brands every single day. I've probably looked at thousands of them in, in 2021. So I compare them side by side and who's really saying something different that others are not. I really like that. And, and you have to do that work up front to either build the brand and community to tell that story um, in order to warrant kind of investment and growth if you don't have the, the, the numbers or the traction. Um, yeah, so. do it by looking something completely different. If you look at yeah. any kind of prestige, prestige um, beauty brand or maybe higher, uh, higher end um, alcohol beverage, it's always black and white in the same like Gotham font. And so when you look at your Instagram, one of the ways that I, I think about brand is if I um, redact the, the company name, can I tell that this is proper good? Can I tell that this is a VEC? Those are two portfolio companies. Um, you know, and that's kind of how I think through the, the, the branding lens. Were you on um, or worked on any of the project with, with Proper Good or Effect or be able to kind of talk about why those companies stood out? So that was before my time. Okay. Um, they, um, fortunately, two great companies um, came into our portfolio before 2021, which is when um, I started at XRC. Got it. Okay. Um, I've talked to both of those companies and I think they are each doing a great job of building a brand around their products, right? So like proper good makes, uh, I think Chris called it like 90 second meals or 90 second convenient meals. And, yes. you know, one is like a tagline that sticks really what they are. They're like soups and they just launched a oatmeal product that you can. But not just soups, eat. but yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, like they're starting with those like areas to which on their own are like very traditional categories. But I always tell founders they have a very high awareness and trial rate because almost everyone in this country and world has had a soup before. So you don't need to like teach someone what a soup is, but they so do. Some of it, some of it is that. that, but it's also that Chris, um, as a founder, is extremely data driven. So yeah, tell he, me about that. Yeah, so he. Um, he analyzes cohort data for new flavors before he decides to double down on them. And then when um, he does want to try a new flavor, he's able to, to I, I don't know the exact, so you'll have to uh, ask, ask Chris um, for the exact time frame, but he can turn it around in four to six weeks and put it up on the, on the website to test whether or not that that product will resonate. So he's applied that enterprise test and learn technology baked into his product launch process, baked into his manufacturing process. And that's what makes Chris an exceptional founder. Yeah, I think he says he launches a new product every six weeks or so, which is yeah. phenomenal. Yep. And right, like, I think that's what makes it so special. Like if and he's a, a at least a second time founder. But if yes. he just like created a soup and put it on the store shelf and like let's see how it goes, right? Like that's not a very interesting business model because there's so much left to chance there. But 
I love yes. that like data approach. Plus, he, like, he has really funny and creative branding and marketing videos yes. too. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, uh, you know, also like the 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 retail channels aren't the best for emerging brands in terms of um, like net payment terms, chargebacks, shelf space. Is that retailer providing you with um, co-marketing? Um, you know, in some ways, the gold standard is is a is a place like Target. Um, who's done a really great job at providing emerging brands with really favorable net terms, 45 day net terms is that's a good one versus like a 90 day um, net would probably be cost prohibitive to most um, early stage companies. So let's talk a little bit about XRC and, and how you help founders as well, because I think that you're doing some pretty cool things with your accelerator program. Do you want to give a quick uh, overview of that? It's a, it's a three three to four month program. And what we do is we help with everything from communicating the brand, um, not just to investors, but also to potential wholesale relationships, which we do help foster and have had a history for helping foster. In addition to that, we provide reduced PR services for, for all of our companies, not just the um, direct-to-consumer ones, but also enterprise companies. So within the accelerator, it's important to note that even though this is largely a, a CPG, but food and beverage focused um, podcast, we do also invest um, in enterprise SaaS companies. So it, it's that, it's, it's growth, um, it's growth support, and really, once you enter the XRC pipeline, you're, you're in it for life. Um, so I was part of cohort one. Um, we still have several several portfolio companies that we're helping through now. And so it's sort of, we say, um, once XRC, always XRC. Oh, I love that. And as part of that, participating startups actually get like an investment, I think it's $135,000. Um, yes, that's right. Investment, right? Yeah, so it's um, it's hundred in addition to one hundred thirty five thousand dollars of capital. It's it's also those services and that lifetime of support. That's awesome, and I believe you're at cohort three now or 13. 13. 13. Just opened up. <laughs> yeah, so the um, the application has been live for um, I think a few months now. Um, but the deadline to apply for cohort 13 is December 12th. What are you looking for in terms of like who would really stand out when they apply? Passion always helps. You know, being a founder is a difficult journey. And for CPG brands and um, sorry, companies in particular, it's, it's a hard fundraising cycle. And so they really need to be passionate about the brand um, and have a clear vision for, you know, being the next $200 million brand, because ultimately that's what we're looking for um, as a venture investor. On top of that, like, what are they doing? You know, similarly to what I said earlier, like, what are they doing differently from what I've seen? And I've looked at thousands of companies. So what are you doing that's different from all the companies out there that are in your space? And you know, if you're a CPG company, you're not necessarily like reinventing the wheel, right? It's, there's no IP moat. It's more about how your products, how your brand, how you as a founder is resonating with your audience. 
So I'll also put the um, link to the application in the show yes. notes. So anyone who's listening can definitely apply there. Um, so in addition to the accelerator, um, we also have a, a venture fund, an opportunity fund, which allows us to invest in companies that are seed to series A. So if you're early stage, um, you haven't raised a round of venture funding that will likely go through the accelerator. But once you've found product market fit, you're scaling your company, we also invest at later stages. Awesome. I think that's great to know. Dana, thanks so much for being on today. Thank you so much.